So just this week, I had two interesting conversations uh, with people that had me thinking about the topic I wanted to talk about tonight. One person um, was having trouble with the Buddhist concept of nirvana, uh, which is the Sanskrit or in the Pali language, Nibbana. And many of you have heard that, at least the term nirvana, and I don't want to go off into uh, talking about that very much, uh, mainly because since I haven't um, attained nirvana, um, I, I can't really talk about it except what they teach and what I read in books. But also, um, you know, the Buddha didn't talk about, he was pointing towards this attainment of this goal called nirvana. But uh, at least in early Buddhism, the, the, the tradition where, where, where our scene comes out of, he didn't actually try to describe it that much, mainly because it, by definition it's, it's, um, it's ineffable. You, you, it's beyond words. So he'd kind of point to it but not talk about it so much. But in uh, the Buddhist scene, probably not so much in, in these kind of groups, but there is a lot of um, belief systems around nirvana and cosmology and rebirth and just many, many beliefs. And um, some of us may hold some of those beliefs and some may not. So this person was, was saying, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. She still is a, is a serious practitioner, just came off, for, off of a three and a half month long retreat and really sees a lot of benefits in the practice and everything, but a lot of the belief systems just don't hold for her. And so was having some struggle around, well, is it okay? You know, is, am I supposed to believe some of this, this stuff? I was also talking uh, with another person, just happens this week, who had the opposite problem. They completely believed in, it's still just a belief, they didn't have direct experience, but had beliefs in, in a lot of uh, these cosmologies they talk about and rebirth, multiple lifetimes, and nirvana and all this, their problem was is that they had a fear of, they had a certain concept of what nirvana was and then had a lot of fear about that. The idea of what their concept was didn't sound too appealing. Like, no, I don't think, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I think I'll just stay in the normal life for a while. So that was a struggle for that person. So I was reflecting in my own life and my own practice and I've been in the Dharma world for a lot of years, for maybe like 37 years and I actually do have um, some, I do hold some of the beliefs um, but I wanted to say two things about it. One is it's, uh, I'm also quite aware that they're just beliefs. I don't actually know and it's fine to hold beliefs and just know that they're beliefs. So we don't have to make a big deal about them. We don't have to get all, you know, if someone has a different belief, hey, it's no problem. Or if someone doesn't hold any of these beliefs, it's no problem. Or if someone just is a true believer in all, it's all fine, right? So that's one. And the second thing I noticed for myself, and I hadn't really reflected on this in a long, long time, is in my day-to-day -day life, I don't think in terms of nirvana and getting enlightened and it just doesn't come up in my mind. Now, and so I would invite you to just reflect for yourself. You know, you may think in those terms or you may not. Right? Um, 
I don't think it really matters because what the Buddha was mostly pointing to wasn't some ideal that we hold out there in the future. We really kept bringing us back just into how we live and think and speak and act. And what are we going to do? How are we going to be? And so I know for myself, I can't sign up for nirvana. I don't know if as a Buddhist teacher, this is going on the website, right? So, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to say that. But really, that's just how it is for me. Other people will say something different. But that's just how it is for me. I'm just not into that stuff. But what I am signed up for is, and that, that I really take very seriously, is an aspiration and intention to live my life in a way that is as, what are the words, as awake as I possibly can be, as free as I can be, as loving and compassionate. And, you know, those, those are the qualities I want to bring into my life. And I want to take that as far as I can take it, right? I'd rather be not just a little awake, I'd rather be, whatever awake means, we can get into that a little bit. Or what is freedom? You know, how to live in a way that's awake and free. How to live in a way where the heart is open and doesn't shut, maybe, maybe doesn't shut any beings out. Or, uh, uh, you know, really deepen in compassion and loving kindness and all these great, wonderful Dharma qualities that you probably hear talked about over and over here. That is what I'm signed up for. And so what I'm interested in is how do I live in a way that moves me forward in those ways, in those areas of my life. And then whatever nirvana and everything, I, I don't feel like I need to worry about that so much. I feel like I'm paying attention to what I can actually wrap my mind around and do something with, which is how I live. So it just came up for me this week around that. There's an interesting book that may be of interest for um, some of you may know this book uh, by Stephen Batchelor called Buddhism Without Beliefs. By the way, I, I want to be really clear. I'm not here trying to promote the idea that you shouldn't have beliefs. And, and, and that's better too. Because if really, if, by the way, if you have a belief that all, those, all that cosmology and multiple lifetimes and all the beliefs are not true, well, you don't know. That's another belief. Right. I mean, maybe you know, actually, if you have some direct experience, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you um, afterwards. Um, but in, until we know for ourselves, like, we don't know. Personally, I don't find that to be a problem. Matter of fact, it's very freeing when you really start to think and realize, like, what's it all about and what's going on? I've been through times in my life where like, I don't know and it's just confusing and what's, it all, what's life about? And... But once I realized, I don't know, I don't have to know. It's very, I find it very freeing. And then I fall back to what I can know. And that is any moment of being mindful and awake and present I start to have some freedom and choice on how I live and act and what I do. During the times in my life where I'm on what I call being on automatic pilot, which is how most of us, and I don't know anyone here, there's some people here I know a little bit, but there's no one here that I know well. 
Um, so I'm making a generalization in this. So what I'm about to say may or may not apply to everybody here. But in general, for most of us, we live most of our life on what I call being on automatic pilot. Some t- people say we go through life being unconscious, but it's not true. We're conscious, you're awake, you're going through your day, but you're just caught up in things, right? the effect of things. That's how most of us are. And it's not like we're doing anything wrong. It's just kind of how it is for, for us as human beings a lot. It's not even necessarily a problem, except for just this one thing. When we're on automatic pilot, in those moments, you don't actually have any freedom or choice in how you act or respond or are in life. You just react in however your mind happens to be conditioned or programmed or how it happens to work. That's how you'll respond in a moment, which may not be a problem in many moments. Right? So it's not necessarily a problem. It's just you're just caught in things and just acting, reacting. When we start to wake up a little more and be more mindfully present in moments, a couple of things start to happen. One is when something happens, rather than automatically react, we start to have some freedom and choice in the moment. So if, and this is one of the things, for example, we start to do, I was making the announcement about working with the kids in the school. You know, it's just uh, the things we're doing in the classrooms are just the simplest things in the world. But a lot of these kids, and we're, and we're trying to focus on, um, um, well, I guess I'm not sure the right word, but inner city sco- schools where there's a high percentage of the students come from what, what are officially called um, uh, economically, socially, uh, I'm not sure the right word, so I don't want to say the wrong thing, but they're disadvantaged situations. What, that, what I mean is, is that a lot of the kids are coming from, are, live in foster care, which you know, may or may not be okay, but ha- dealing with a lot of the problems that can show up even in affluent groups, but certainly can get exacerbated due to po- the struggles around poverty and uh, oppression and injustice and all that kind of stuff. And so um, there's a lot of them I know for a fact some of these kids are dealing with um, uh, uh, sexual abuse and drug abuse and have family members who have been killed themselves, some of them have actually said to me that, they, that they're afraid to go out from their homes to take the garbage out. You know, I don't think about taking the garbage out. It just doesn't come up into my mind. You know, it was a real, it's re- very poignant and it's a real wake up to start to say, you know, here's this other reality, these students, these little kids in the, in the elementary school. And one of them's telling me he's afraid to take the garbage out at night. So, you know, suffering, we all have our sufferings. And I'm not saying theirs is worse or better or anything like that, but a lot of these kids are coming from especially challenging situations. And so then the idea of doing some simple things around mindfulness and loving kindness is being a real shift for some of these kids. And for some of them, it's actually, they've really taken to it a lot. And so um, um, just the simple things about using an example, for example, one of the things we do at some point is saying, you know, imagine you're on the playground and um, you see some kid being mean to another kid, saying something. Notice how that makes you feel. We just stop for a minute. Just, just, no, we're just doing a, a mind, visual, a, a, a imaginary exercise. Imagine how that makes you feel. They think, they think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Imagine that um, 
you're about to go up to someone and say something that's not very nice on the playground. Just stop, feel. How, what's going on in you? How does it make you feel? It's like a wake up to that I can be aware, I can be awake, I can be mindful. And kids really seem like they're getting it. Um, then we might say, um, now imagine you're going up and saying something that is really nice and, and friendly and kind or something like that to a kid and, 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 and they really get it. And maybe you've shifted how, made a change in how they feel. Notice how that makes you feel. Right? So something very simple can be, it's the simplest thing, it's simple, but until we wake up and start to realize that we can have some choice, we're just caught up in things. So it's the same thing for all of us, right? Uh, probably everyone here um, has had, I'm assuming, you know, some, there's probably a mix here. Some people here probably are long-time pract- Dharma practitioners. The word Dharma can mean a lot of different things. And some people here may be... Um, Maybe maybe you just showed up here because somebody said, hey, there's this group on Sunday night. What is it? Meditation. What's meditation? I don't know, but I'll come check it out. And maybe you don't know, I've never heard of mindfulness. So it's a big range of where we're all, how much exposure we've got to it. Once we, so where, however much exposure you've got to it, uh, you know, just that simple idea of knowing we can start to be more mindfully aware moment by moment of what's happening. We don't have to be thinking about um, nirvana or have some lofty idea of enlightenment or you know maybe that happens to someone off in a cave somewhere or whatever we might think. We can start to bring these practices right into our moment-to-moment daily life and it can start to make profound shifts. And I know for a fact that there are plenty of people here who've really tasted a lot of those shifts. And the good news about it is you don't have to have nirvana you don't have to be enlightened to really have the experience for yourself, the, the, the profound um, effects of putting these teachings into effect. Now, the important thing to say is, though, we're not going to get it perfectly, even if you have a strong intention to want to live in a way that's awake and free and kind. That may or may not be... Um, an aspiration for you. So that would be one thing to um, think about at some point. It's like, what's really most important to you in your life? I think I did that maybe the last time I was here, which was a while back. We did a little guided meditation. We won't do that now. And just, ref- But you, you might at some point reflect, what's really most important? What's it all about? What do I want my life to be about? And then you'll come up with what your answer is. For me, at least part of that answer is, is to live in a way like I keep saying the same words, that's kind, loving, compassionate, that's as awake as I can be, as free as I can be, really as enlightened as I can be, moment by moment. So once we each sort of plant our stake in the ground, that's, that's our spot, and that's, what we, that's our intention or our aspiration. Then, of course, we need some tools to help us. We think, if, and suppose you think, oh, that's a nice idea. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to be enlightened or free or awake and loving and kind more of the time. Nothing, I'm not saying the way you are is wrong, but maybe I'd like to grow in those ways. Then we need some guidance. And a lot of the talks that probably come here are a lot of the practical things of applying these teachings to our lives and the situations in our lives. And we could 
talk about a lot of applied things. The piece that I want to focus on in particular here is, well, first to say the idea that we might have the best intention in the world. Really be sincere. And you know what? You're going to go out and you're going to be more awake and you're going to be more kind and and loving and then something's going to happen and you're just going to fall flat on your face. And you're going to do it a hundred times. A thousand times. And then you'll carry on. Why? Because by definition, until we're... um, until we're Buddhas ourselves, if I can say it that way, whatever that means, until we were completely cleaned out of any greed, hatred, and delusion, there's going to be some places where we get caught. Right? So, for example, I have an aspiration and an intention, but really an aspiration that I take very seriously. And it's an aspiration to live in a way in which no being is no being is ever shut out of my heart. So that's an aspiration that I have. That I take very seriously. Right? And it's, I'm conscious of it. I think about it, you know, from time to time during my day. And I really have taken on no being shut out of my heart. And so what I get to see is the times when my heart is open. And I also get to see all the times when plenty of beings are shut out of my heart. Plenty of times that I get to see that. I mean, you know, I just, uh, I'm better than I used to be, but, um, you know, I don't want to get off into politics here because, um, and, and I'm guessing, you know, one, by the way, one of the assumptions, I always have to preface with this, one of the assumptions we tend to make in these Dharma groups is that most people are more progressives or liberals or whatever. It's actually not true. It, I mean, most people are. But um, they're kind of the closet um, conservatives in most groups. And um, so, you know, you know, I've gone to Dharma groups and, you know, I've heard people get up there and the teacher will say something, bring in politics, which I'm about to in a minute, and, you know, and they'll say, uh, well, I have to preface this because it's important, and we'll say, you know, George Bush is an idiot, ha, 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 and then everybody will go, ha, 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 and then there's the few people who actually really think he's great this, uh, who are peppered, who are, who are cringing inside, Right? And it's not safe. So I'm saying that, I know I spent a little time on that because I'm about to use an example and I want to be clear that uh, my point isn't about whether my politics is right or not. I'm going to talk how I shut, basically you can tell what I'm going to say about how all you have to do is mention George Bush or Dick Cheney and, or, and, and it's an easy way to see where my heart just goes, gets, gets like a stone. But my point is, and then I'll move on, is, is that if you happen to be one of the, um, and you probably are in the minority in the group, but um, uh, maybe a conservative there, just substitute in um, like Hillary Clinton or something, and uh, whatever, or Jesse Jacks, or I don't know, whatever, and, and the analogy works. You get the idea. Right? So I want to I live in a way that no being shut out of my heart. Now it used to be in like in the, the the 2000 election, if I just, I mean, I thought if Bush got elected, I was just gonna, I mean, I thought I was gonna die, just physically die. 
You know, it was just bad. I was just suffering. And I worked actually on Kerry's campaign. And I was in Ohio in Columbus, which was kind of was a little bit of a ground zero. Um, and I, you know, I was trying, and, and, and so I was really kind of in it. And, you know, if I saw a picture of, just a picture of them, you know, it was just hard. So when this happens, and, you know, we don't have to have that. There's many opportunities. My point is, is that you can still have a sincere aspiration but what, here's the point, the place where I think it, it gets interesting. When I noticed, and I'm just going to use my bush in that, I may could use many examples in the day, but um, in my personal life, uh, when it comes up, you know, if I get in an argument with my wife or something, right, it's, you know, in the moment, if I'm feeling, you know, why did she do that again? Or she shouldn't have said that to me, whatever. I mean, I have a good marriage and it's fine. But, you know, any marriage can have these things. <laughs> when those things happen, it's fine if those energies come up because that's just the way it was programmed in us, right? And it is interesting to notice that someone else will look at a picture of... Uh, Bush is a little more problematic, but let's take Reagan, for example. There are people who get teary and weepy for the nostalgia of what Reagan meant to this country, who really are just gets just choked up with tears and emotion around Reagan. I think he was, you know... Well, if you happen to be a poor person, you didn't fare so well. Let's just put it that way. I did okay. Right? I didn't think he was that great, if I can say it that way. So, two people look at the same picture. I'm looking at Reagan. That emotional, weepy-eyed person is looking at it. The same thing. It's just our minds that are interpreting that and changing. It's not, none of it's right or wrong. So, as we start to wake up, we don't have to take our position so Seriously, I'm not saying that we can hold things a little more lightly and then I can refer back to my aspiration. That's the point. Wow, instead of getting caught up in, because it kind of feels good to, uh, you know, I mean, you need to kind of get it out. It's cathartic with Bush, right? And and you need to rant. But you know what? Wow. I've got to let this being into my heart too. Okay, what am I going to do? So I don't have to get it so perfectly, is my point. Matter of fact, a friend of mine had uh, suggested that I have a little altar with a Buddha where I meditate, and it's kind of like a thing like this up here. And so he said, well, you should put a picture of of President Bush on your altar. (laughs) And at first it 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 was just unthinkable. Unthinkable. But to bump up against the edge and it got to a point where it was, it was thinkable and doable and it could move on and get better. So the important thing is, is that whatever of these dharma, whatever aspect we're working on, loving kindness, compassion, being more awake and present in a moment, we need to have a willingness to see the places where we, it's not happening and rather than have that be a problem, it's a real shift when we can start to get interested. To, to, because to tell you the truth, if there's a place in me where I'm not free or where I do shut down or I do constrict or contract, I'd rather see it and know about it than not. I'd rather know about it than not. I've recently had a new baby. And... Um, 
my wife's a bit younger than me. I've already got a, a grown daughter, so there was a whole thing of, boy, at my age, do I want to have another baby? And what am I doing? But anyway, it's way past that because the baby's here. And he's just a really sweet kid, but he's just like, he's just wonderful. So he's six weeks old. And, you know, he's, he's a great kid. And he's just being, they're all great because they just are, they're just a pure expression of themselves. So he's being a baby. He's actually, from what I've told, in the range of temperaments, he's actually very much on the, on the mellow side. Yet, here I am, and people who know me would probably tell you that in most of life, I, I tend to be pretty equanimous, actually. And I think that is true. I'm not saying, I'm not making any grand claims, but really through a lot of life, uh, I, I, you know, it's just a result of Dharma practice, like many of you have experienced. And so I have a lot of equanimity, I would say, a decent amount. And it was very humbling to have this little baby, and it's three in the morning, and, and, you know, I haven't said this much here but, uh, to people, but, you know, to be honest, and I didn't, it didn't come outside, so, you know, I kept it cool with the baby, but inside, it was just like, shut up, shut up, go to sleep. I mean, I thought I was going to pop. It's three in the morning, and it's like the thing is, he wouldn't do what I want. It really, he was just being a baby. He's not supposed to sleep through the night when he's two or three weeks old, right? My problem is, I wanted it to be some other way, and he wouldn't do what I wanted. And to this day, he doesn't, he doesn't listen to me. He just goes right ahead and does what he wants. So it was very humbling to really get to watch that, that edge in my mind of, of, you know, and my wife's giving me, you know, I'm getting ready to go off and give some Dharma talk about uh, loving kindness and equanimity and compassion. And the thing is, I'm sitting there about to pop. <laughs> so my wife, who's very kind and loving, just in, in her way, just gets to sit me down and just say, you know, it's just you're getting to see the place in you where, you know, you're bumping up an edge that you didn't see before. You didn't have this kind of activation happening. There's no baby. You could sleep. I got to, I got to see a place, an edge. So, um, uh, you know, when these things happen, um, it's 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 nothing going wrong. It's just an opportunity for us to uh, bring some kindness to ourselves as we start to apply any of these teachings. So um, it brings me really to the last piece of around this, and, and really the main idea I want to get across is that if we take it on. So I'm going to kind of go back and summarize. If we've taken it on, that we want to uh, uh, come to some kind of awakening, freedom, enlightenment loving kindness, compassion, all of that. And if we get some help, maybe we get some techniques, we maybe meditate or do whatever practices you do. There's many, many kinds of practices. And you listen to tapes, you go to Dharma talks, or you hang out with certain kind of people, or you read books, or whatever you do. And then we start to implement it. And we start to see where we're at. It's a real shift, because one of the things that can happen is people can be very hard on themselves sometimes. And it's a real shift when we can start to bring that same kindness that we want to uh, strengthen in ourselves. We start to bring that exact kindness, uh, not just towards others, but we turn it right into ourselves. Oh yeah, you know, I really do get pissed off when the baby won't go to sleep at 3 a.m. 
wow, you just show me a picture of this person and my heart contracts. Right? I'm not saying we want to strengthen it or, or that we shouldn't try to uh, you know, clear it out, but we get to see. The important point is we do the best we can. Right? And this is good news. You don't have to be able to do it better than you can. Matter of fact, can you do it better than you can? Sometimes people say, oh, you know, I'm not trying very hard. I'm not doing it very well. I could, You know what? If you could do it better, you would. If you think you're supposed to meditate more, you want to be, this is one example, uh, say, not everybody necessarily wants to do a daily meditation practice. I strongly encourage it, but that may not be what Dharma practice looks like for you. But this is an example. Say, oh, I need to meditate every day or most days. I can barely make myself do it. That's very common. If you, I guarantee you in this group this size, there are plenty of people who feel that way. Not everybody will, but they'll definitely be. So you're not alone if you do feel that way. And if it's frustrating and if you're hard on yourself. Well, the good news is you don't have to be able to do it any better than you can do it. So you do the best you can without beating ourselves up. Whatever way you try to take on whatever you're doing, we do the best we can. And realize you're doing the best you can. And even if you get sidetracked and pulled away and you end up watching you know, daytime soap operas when you could be meditating or whatever, just wasting your time, you know what? Something in the mind is programmed that gets you pulled into that. Or, oh, I want to stop, you know, drinking. For, I don't know, I'm just making these up. And, and um, my buddies call me up again and the pull's there. Next thing you know, I'm in the bar. Right? Whatever. That's only because those forces have been habituated and strengthened in us. What we want to do is just recognize what's happening, the forces that are there. Start to turn the light of awareness on them and then make some choices. Oh, I'm really feeling this pull. Rather than being caught up in it on automatic pilot, through that mindfulness we have some freedom and choice. Oh, how do I want to use this time? And sometimes the pull's going to get us and we'll, we'll be down or whatever. You're back at the bar. or whatever. That's not a good example. But whatever it is, watching the soap opera. And other times we might start to make a shift. And the more we start to make shifts in the direction that we're really committed towards, it just starts to naturally change the, the habit of our minds. And then the natural inclination, without us even trying, is in a different way over time. So what I would like to propose is um, the normal way that the, the Dharma gets taught is there's all these practices that are done of meditation and there's all these kind of practices, but they tend to be built on a foundation of what's called virtue or morality, which is normally talked about as these precepts, right? Non-harming, not stealing, being wise and skillful around our sexuality so we don't cause harm for ourselves and others, being wise and skillful around our speech, so we don't cause more suffering for ourselves and others, wise and skillful around intoxicants, so we don't cause more suffering for ourselves and others, living in a way that we start on what's called uh, these precepts or the virtue or morality, right? That's usually considered the foundation upon which we can build the rest. I actually want to propose something underneath that as a foundation. But this isn't the Buddha, this is just me. Okay? 
It's my own thing. That the starting place is uh, self-compassion. That's where we start. The best you can. You may not be too good, very good at self-compassion. That's okay. You don't have to be good at it. Maybe it's just kind of an idea. You know, maybe when you just hear the word self-compassion, you feel angry. I don't know. A lot of things could happen. Right. So, once again, doing the best we can. That's all. Just the best we can. Start to bring that compassion for all the times when you're going to screw it up. When you don't meditate. When you got angry and you really wish you hadn't and you caused a big mess. Or whatever. Right? That's when we need the compassion for the times when the, when the places where we're not free and when, when those forces get activated and we get caught. You know, Like I haven't done this, so I'm, this is not a, maybe a good example, but imagine if I had my baby and it was three in the morning, I was really tired and inside I'm just going, outside I'm going, there, there, it's all right. And you know, I'm talking like that and inside I just need to go hit a pillow or something. You know, I'm just really frustrated. And just imagine... Again, I haven't done this, so I'm just using an example. Imagine I burst out in a moment. I just went, "Shut up!" And then all of a sudden, and then I went. And lots of parents have done this before. I haven't, I, you know. So some of you may have done this. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but um, and then I go, "Oh, oh, gee!" And I feel bad, and the baby's screaming worse because now you know that you're you know, right. Maybe I feel bad. I did the best I could for those times. Right. I need the compassion and knowing there's going to be places where I'm going to get caught and it's going to create some problems maybe. Or I didn't do, do it the way I wanted. But once we build on the self-compassion, it gives us a lot of permission. I'm not saying we shouldn't try to rein ourselves in or try to work on ourselves, but it gives us permission to um, just be fully who and what we are, if I can say it that way. That's a cliche that you hear all the time, but there's really a lot there to that, allowing ourselves to be who and what we are. Because you are what you are anyway. And you've got to start from there if we're going to move forward in a positive direction. So we might as well bring some awareness and some love and some compassion for ourselves. Who needs it more than you? You know, if you see some other poor person who's not doing very well and you want to give some compassion to them, you might say something encouraging. You wouldn't go tear them to shreds verbally or beat them up or whatever. You would say, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. So we need to bring that peace in for ourselves too. Then we can build the virtue the best we can. Then we can build the meditation and everything. If we're doing all of those things the best we can, I don't think we have to worry about uh, concepts of nirvana or the belief systems or any of that stuff. We can just bring it right back into our lives here. Anyway. Um, so I, I'll stop now and we can open it up if, uh, either, if you have any questions about actually this or anything it's fine around Dharma or meditation but also if you have anything you want to share that you or take exception to for what I said or just anything if anybody wants to say anything yes sir Thank you. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I'll just repeat. Um, um, right. So I can say a little bit. So he was just asking about this work in the uh, that we're doing in Oakland, and he was just saying like, who do we say we are? Um, what's our goal? How do we present it? Who are we, age groups we're working with? He just wanted a little more info about that. Is that correct? Yeah. We're not Buddhists. That's one thing, and I don't, I'm not saying you were implying that, but I want to be really clear. This is actually a secular endeavor here that we're doing. Um, we're very clear about uh, not wanting to bring any religion into schools. We're not attempting to bring any religion in, first of all. First, it could bring up a lot of problems, but also it's actually not our goal. We're actually trying to bring in some specific just tools and techniques that the kids can use um, that like we can all use that so they can have a little more awareness, a little more choice, uh, hopefully start to act in, in ways that can be just more, you know, break some of the cycles that maybe some kids get in. So um, we're really just trying to bring mindfulness and loving kindness to people as tools that they can use. So we're not thinking of it as Dharma. There's no spiritual I mean, you, you could argue that it is Dharma or something if you want, but we're not thinking like that. It's just teaching kids to, uh, about like actually experientially to get the idea of being mindful and to start incorporating it. And there's specific things. I could give you some examples that we do with them that are really appropriate for the kids um, and the loving kindness uh, pieces. So that's, that's what we're doing. Um, basically, what we did was um, uh, I can happen to connect up with someone who's uh, involved in childhood education and with the with uh, school schools and we just said let's try a pilot program and she had the connections we went into Emerson Elementary School some of you may have seen this it actually ran on channel 7 ABC television came out and filmed it you know I'm up there I got my bowl and ringing the bell and so it actually made the news and it was very sweet and but um, uh, it's elementary school it was almost all African-American um, and some Hispanic kids peppered in there. Uh, I don't know if there are any white kids in there. And uh, elementary school. And we basically went into every single classroom in the school three times a week. We just go in for 15 minutes. And we did that for five weeks. And so when we start, we just do... We just do the very simple. We actually bring this bell in and we'll ring the bell and have the kids... I'll just show you right now. So we'll bring the bell and we'll say, um, you know, what's, what, anybody know what this is? And, you know, they don't know. It's just a round thing. They say, okay, well, check it out. And we'll ring it like this. They say, man, listen really carefully. And they're all into it. I say, okay. Keep listening. And we'll talk like this too. Really listen. And then we'll have them do it with their eyes closed. We'll have them raise their hand when they can no longer hear the sound, and they're really listening. And then, they, and we just start to do some things about mindfulness of listening, right? And other things we do, and slowly we build it out with the breath, and we do these loving kindness practices. And what was amazing is we didn't know how I didn't know what was going to happen. We just went in, and I don't have any background in working with kids. I've worked in prisons a lot and other populations, but I'd never worked with kids, so I didn't know. And and it, was, it just was a great success. And, and the teachers were reporting that the effects, they, some of the teachers, I mean, literally, teachers had been 20 years of teachers. And it's hard to believe because we're doing the simplest. It's not complicated what we're doing. Anybody could do it. 
and the, and the, the teachers were reporting they'd never seen anything like it, and it was carrying through the day. Well, what's going on? And we had the kids, we gave them journals, and, we, and, and it was, so we incorporated writing, because you know, they wanted, wanted them to be writing, and these were private journals that we tell the kids, nobody's going to ever see your journal unless later there'll be a chance if you want to share it. We didn't actually tell them that until later. We just said, nobody's going to see your journal. And later, which some of the kids shared, one kid wrote, like, um, is this really real? And all kinds of things they were writing. It was just amazing. So the, the principal got really excited, and it actually went, another principal wanted to try it, and we ended a second elementary school, Piedmont Avenue School, also, also mostly African-American kids, also coming from, you know, inner city, you would say. Then we went into uh, uh, private school, middle school, and so now um, all of a sudden there's this thing happening. We have a name. Uh, it's called the um, Community Partnership for Mindfulness in Education. And, um, there's, you know, it's, it's kind of growing and, and uh, really wasn't where I thought I would be putting my energy six months ago, it just wasn't on my radar screen. And then it came up and I felt like, well, you just had to go with it. Now, you know, six months ago, I knew nothing about it. Now I'm teaching a training on. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I have a lot of help for people who know what they're doing. But, uh <laughs> and I will say one thing that was very important about it. Here's what I think made it work. There was a lot that we had to learn that I had to learn and we made, a, actually I made some mistakes. Fortunately, they weren't major and we could recover. But there were two things I learned that made it work. One is to go in and do this, you have to have a style or personality that just connects well with the kids. And some people naturally do that more than others. Nothing right or wrong with anyone. And I, I can connect well with the kids. And so that part worked, just naturally worked. And the second part is you have to have integrated the mindfulness into yourself enough to really be able to model what you're teaching. Because many times, some of these classrooms were well-behaved, but some of them were falling apart. Really troubled, just unbelievable classrooms. And if you go in and think, okay, my curriculum for the day is I've got 15 minutes and we're going to try and learn about being mindful of the breath and nobody's listening to you at all, you've got to be able to go right with what's happening. You've got to be able to turn right into it. Oh, there's a lot of energy here, huh? Boy, you guys are really having trouble settling down. Yeah, 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 we're mad, you know, whatever. Okay, let's bring the mindfulness right into that. Really feel into what that's like to have all that energy to be mad. You know, you just have to be able to do that. So you have to have integrated, you have to be able to flow with it. And I have those parts down pretty good. So I was able to go through and it just kind of worked, even though I don't actually have experience um, in childhood education myself. And it's kind of funny because now I'm, it, it, that news piece came, people are starting to identify me as one of these mindfulness and education people. And I'm not really claiming anything beyond what I know, so, um, but I'm kind of like, you know, just happened. Anyway, I, that's, I guess, a long answer to your question. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, I am. Excuse me. It's very... I find it very reassuring to have someone in your position who is who comes clean with the issue of nirvana and not really you know, gunning for it. 
because um, I find a lot of people that um, are fixated on the Nirvana thing. Yeah. And also the fact that I am from originally from the Christian tradition right. where we're good and we do all these things right. to get to heaven. Right. Well, Buddhism's got all that too. So, anyway, the, the thing is, is that um, the way that I have looked at it is, is that um, I figure that nirvana and heaven are like UFOs. If a UFO lands on my front porch, rings my doorbell, and asks for me by name, then I will worry about it. Okay. Yeah. That's the way I look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And it is, who knows? Right. But it's like, until then, <laughs> it's not a thing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. it change. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what I appreciate what you're saying, and one of the things I would say is, is that to me what's important is each of us find our own relationship with the various aspects of these teachings. So if you happen to hang around in this kind of scene, Insight Meditation Center, where a lot of teachings are Buddhist teachings, although I don't know, there might be other kind of traditions that get incorporated here too, could be, because there's a lot of wisdom in different places. But it's mostly a Buddhist scene, if we can say that. But I'll bet a good chunk of people would not put the label Buddhist on themselves here, right? Which is, and the Buddha himself wasn't a Buddhist. Yeah, he never, that actually was, term was coined by uh, British anthropologists in the uh, 18th century uh, studying in Sri Lanka. And now it's stuck and all the Buddhists call themselves Buddhists. Well, that's it. You know, when, when people say you know, to me, well, are you a Buddhist? And yeah. I go, no, I'm someone who practices yeah, yeah. this style of meditation yeah. and what have you. And I don't, you know, yeah. all the trappings and stuff that go with it, I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm not into the costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christians would say the smells and bells of yeah, their yeah. different, yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, 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 ceremonies yeah. and what have you. And also, just to add one other thing is, is that I've got a deal in my line of work with a lot of very technical and scientifically-minded um, people yeah. that are really not into this kind of stuff. Yeah. The statement I give them, uh, unless I've got another couple of phys uh, physicists in here, I say that attaining um, nirvana is akin to attaining zero degrees Kelvin. And I know that probably very few people know what that means, but that is practically, we don't think it can ever be attained yeah. where there's absolutely zero heat. Yeah. And uh, for those people that are in that realm, as soon as I say that, they understand it. Yeah. Well, what I would just add to that, I appreciate you sharing, is two things. One is my own take is what's really important, and, I, and, and it's really great. I just love what you're saying. Each of us have to find our relationship, to find what works for us. That's what's important is what works. So there are plenty of people who a lot of those pieces that don't resonate for you, and there's many, many people, you have lots of company, there are also many people for who those do resonate, and so those people need to also be comfortable that, that that's... So it's finding what works. I like to use the clothes shopping analogy, and I think I've used this here before. Now, there's a danger to the analogy in a minute, I'll say, but the, to me, the, first I'll give you the analogy. The clothes shopping analogy is, so, and I'm not much of a clothes shopper, uh, I, 
I kind of, anyway, I won't get into that. But, uh, uh, but you know, if you go to the store and you're looking at a dress or a shirt or whatever, and they're all on the rack, and you see one, you stop, oh, this one looks kind of interesting. So what do you do? You take it off, you put it on, you try it on, you walk up and down with it. And if you like it, you keep it. And if you don't like it, it's actually no problem. You just put it back on the rack or leave it in the changing room or whatever, right? And you move on to the next thing. And it's the same thing here. There's nothing that you have to take on or not take on here, but you can see what um, fits for you. So I think that that's real important, except with one caveat. And that is, it's easy to let our, um, and I don't think you're saying this, I'm going off into a different thing, but I just wanted to say this. Uh, If we do use the clothes shopping analogy, sometimes it's our own... um, likes and dislikes that are guiding us and it's our own ignorance that pull us to what we want to take off the shelf and not and um, so we need to be careful about so the analogy is actually I realize is not that good of an analogy right. uh, just one moment please um, so um, well the, the second thing I just want to say also is that um, you may be right about uh, n- uh, Nirvana but I'd like to point out that um, I actually don't know if it's like achieving absolute zero or not. That it actually may be uh, attainable. And there are claims of uh, people who've dedicated their whole life in this to do that. So I don't actually know whether that's true or not. But I, it's an int- I love the analogy. Practically speaking, everyone that I know of, and especially some of the Dharma teachers that I respect and who've been teachers for me, I think that that applies. You know, we're all on this path and it's just, you know, one level is revealed and there's a subtler level and it's just, it, it is kind of like what you're talking about. You know, it's one of those asymptotic things that, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't think we have to worry. It's just, if we are aware of places where we're getting stuck and where we're suffering, let's try to find the tools and to free ourselves up from those places. And if we keep doing that, I think it it just moves us in a direction. And then just like you're saying, we don't have to worry about am I at some ideal I have of some absolute out there. Yeah, Yeah. approaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. All you need to do is to be approaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a great... You may never reach absolute zero, but you'll get very, very, very... Yeah, And, and what a great way to be living our lives if we're saying... I'm, I'm living in a way where I want to be approaching, heading towards being just utterly free and awake. And, you know, and that's, that's not a bad, I don't think that'd be a bad life. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, I drove here tonight and I'm car sitting and um, I presume that you drove here tonight. I did drive here tonight, yes. Yes. And um, I've always just felt that that simple act just um, contributes to places like asthma and the prisons or just traveling the place. Yeah. So I wonder what, what your thoughts on that. Yeah. It, it really just seems so problematic because you don't, you're less, um, often less plugged in socially if you're not with an automobile. Right. Right. Yeah. So I can give you my answer. Yeah. 
I don't know the I don't know about that. I mean, um, you know, even though. Um, but I w- here's my answer to you, and 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 I don't mean to. That's a that's a profound, big topic that you're bringing up. So because it's about three minutes to nine, and we need to end at nine. Um, let me just give you this answer, and it may not, this is just my own take. Other people may have a different answer, and I, maybe that'd be a great topic to really spend some time on. You could spend a whole day, a lifetime on that topic. My answer is this. Um, uh, in any action we want to take, I don't necessarily know what an individual should or shouldn't do in any situation. I mean, sometimes you kind of know, but in a lot of situations, I'm not going to sit here and say I know what you or you or you should do. What I do know is when we're making decisions in our lives, if we can come from a place that's as free and awake and clear as we can be, aware of our own, all the different places that are motivating us and the forces within us that come into play, all our different attitudes, all our beliefs, and rather than just being caught on automatic pilot to be as awake and mindful and aware and kind as we can, I think we're at least going to have the best chance to make the most wise and skillful choice that we can given all the different things we have to take into consideration. So that's my short answer and it's kind of a generic platitude I just threw out there, I realize. But actually that kind of is, in in a general sense, would be my answer to that. Um, I'll just say one last thing. I remember a time when I used to teach in prisons down at Soledad and one of the men in my group came up to me and his dilemma was he had been involved in one of the Hispanic gangs and um, he wanted to break from the gang life. He was doing a long term, so he wasn't getting out of, he was in a level four prison, which is, it's like the, like Corcoran and Pelican Bay kind of a, uh, Salinas Valley State Prison is where he was. Um, he had been, basically the gang, his gang was, he was being pressured that he had to go stab somebody in another gang as a retaliation and he was coming to me and he said, what do I do? I don't want to do this, I'm trying to live a, if I don't do it, they're going to get, my own gang's going to get me. If I do it, I'm going to be creating harm to this other person and, and it's not the same type of issue, but it's still a dilemma where he had to make a choice, so that, that's the only similarity there. And he asked me what to do. And I told him the same answer. I said, you know, I, to, to be honest with you, I don't know what to tell you to do. But I do know if you reflect and you come from the, the deepest, clearest place you can, that will, that will be the place you make your choice from. At least you have a chance, to your best chance to make some wise and skillful decision. What he actually came up with, I think, was quite creative. He... Um, had his knife or his you know, sharpened tool that he had and they were out in the yard and he went for the, for the guy on the other gang knowing he was going to like go for him and kind of graze him and miss and fall down or so, you know, as they scuffled. He got thrown in the hole for two months or whatever. But he made that conscious choice knowing it was hap- going to happen in that he was off the hook with his gang. He didn't really harm another person, but he looked... So that's what happened. He was able to actually... It kind of had a... You know, not all situations will come up with... I don't know if that's a happy ending, but it was maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe his best choice. But anyway, that's the best I know to say for now. Um, so let me just ask a question here. It's exactly 9 o'clock, and I know we have to end on time, right? So we could take a minute to do a dedication of merit, or should we just end? We can go a minute or two over. So I apologize. So first to say this, that um, 
I just wasn't managing the time well. I apologize for that. And we are going to only go two more minutes. But if you need to leave right at 9 o'clock, please, you know, you don't have to stay two minutes. Go and don't feel funny about it. And take care of yourself. And if you are going to stay, um, let's we just take two minutes. What I would invite you to do is to first, if you're not already doing so, let your awareness connect into yourself. Sometimes when we're having a discussion, the awareness can go out into the group or out into the realm of the concepts. And bringing your mindfulness back into the body and the heart and the mind. And just to notice whatever's there in your experience. Not having to do anything about it. It might be pleasant, it might be unpleasant. And then I would invite you to notice how you're being with whatever's going on in your experience. See if there can be a sense of allowing, letting be. That's a, that's a great place of compassion for ourselves. If there's something going on in your experience that you're not able to have that sense of allowing or letting be, then bring some acceptance for that place in you. And then finally to end, um, I would invite you to reflect that we have all used our time wisely together this evening. Every one of us. You know, you could have done anything this evening. And you came to a group that was to meditate, spending 40 minutes, um, to reflect on a a Dharma discussion about um, uh, kindness to ourselves, setting our intentions, living in a way... Uh, that, that heads us towards being more awake and more free, more enlightened. And so um, we've all used our time wisely together. And when we spend our time in that way, it's of great benefit to ourselves and to others. And in fact, to reflect that it is literally not possible to do this practice for yourself alone. Every, even a little bit of more awakeness in ourselves affects everyone that we interact with, the way we show up in the world. And so, but we can make that more conscious, so let us offer up, uh, it's called the dedication of the offering of merit, is the tradition in Buddhism. It could be a wish or an intention, it could be a prayer, a thought, that if there's been any um, goodness or wholesome qualities or what we call merit, that's been generated or obtained by our time together this evening. May it be, let me offer it up for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. And may all beings everywhere come to a complete end of suffering. So thank you all very much for your practice this evening.